Thanks for joining Sapelo Nerds, a coastal science podcast. I'm your host, Corinne. And I'm your host, Brittany. And we work at the National Estuarine Research Reserve, or NEAR, on Sapelo Island, a Georgia barrier island. So some of you listening might know that I am a bit of a nature nut. Uh, yeah, that's putting it lightly. I have seen your menagerie of rehabilitated animals. <laughs> yeah, true. Among my many hobbies, I am also a licensed wildlife rehabilitator for the state of Georgia. And what we are going to talk about today is something I'm really passionate about. That's right, folks. Today we're going to talk about not picking up baby wildlife. You'd think it would be that easy, right? But it really isn't. There is a complicated balance between people who care too much for animals and people who don't care at all. We're going to talk a little bit today about what a rehabilitator is, why it's needed, and how you can help. But first, can you tell us a little bit about what wildlife rehabilitation is and what it's not? Yes, my favorite question. Wildlife rehabilitation is primarily the treatment and care of orphaned wild animals so that they can be released back into the wild. It is first and foremost a human mitigation strategy or a way of lessening the impacts of human beings on nature. It's not really for adult wildlife, although what my specialty is, I do often take in adults. I work primarily with herpetiles, which comes from the Greek for creeping, so it's used to describe amphibians and reptiles together. Although I do a lot of mammal work as well, most of the animals I get calls for are reptiles like turtles and tortoises who have been hit by cars or attacked by pets. Wildlife rehabbers take in orphaned and reasonably injured animals to help them recuperate or grow until they are ready to be released. Unlike a wildlife vet, rehabbers are not doing surgeries or complex medical procedures. I am able to do shell repairs and other easy and non-technical procedures, but wildlife rehabbers work closely with wildlife veterinarians to monitor the health of the animals under our care and provide medications as needed. So I shouldn't bring you any animals that are near death. You joke, but that's kind of a common problem. People feel bad about seeing an animal in pain and will call me, but really there's nothing that I can do to euthanize a wild animal on the side of the road other than call the local authorities to come and do it for us. I get calls all the time about animals who are too far gone to save and usually direct them to the veterinarian right away. Wildlife rehabbers are not genies, and we don't need to be. The goal of wildlife rehabilitation is not to save every single animal out there. Sometimes Mother Nature needs to take its course. What wildlife rehabilitators do focus on, however, is saving the animals that we can that have been impacted the most by human beings. Wildlife rehabbers have an important role in maintaining biodiversity and preventing humans from interfering in natural processes. Even though many of the animals that we do rehab during the course of the year have high populations like raccoons or possums, it's important to remember that these animals were negatively impacted by humans. We were the ones taking these individuals out of the population, not nature. Natural selection is a delicate system that selects the best of genetics to live on in each population. When humans run over a strong male, those genes do not get to pass on, and a weaker mate might take his place. Unless hunters are doing what I see as cheating and employing tactics like scents and other attractants, don't do that guys, most often hunting actually selects for animals who are not shy, who are not as astute, who are not as reactive or fast, and it takes them out of the population correctly. When an animal is impacted by humans through construction, tear down, tearing down their nest, or being hit randomly by a car, 
This is impacting the breeding pool in ways we can't possibly know and therefore need to mitigate to make sure that the animal population continues to be healthy. But making sure they actually return to the population is what is key to being a wildlife rehabilitator, right? Exactly. Good rehabbers do not cuddle or snuggle those babies, as tempting as it is sometimes. Rehabbed animals are always raised with littermates when possible to prevent imprinting, which is where a wild animal loses its wild instincts and thinks of itself as a human instead. Many times, particularly seeing one individual as its mother. This can be difficult as a single rehabilitator, but in places like my partner organization, Savannah Wildlife Rescue Center, located in Chatham County, they stick to strict feeding routines and ensure that older animals are not seeing the same people every day in order to avoid them getting accustomed to these people. Savannah Wildlife takes in hundreds of animals every year, and unlike my small home-based facility, they are able to accommodate larger wildlife like deer and otter and foxes. Since they, like all rehabbers, are run purely off donations, they hold several different fundraising functions throughout the year and are volunteer-run, so are always looking for people to help. To learn more about them, see the link in our description. So you've mentioned turtles and tortoises and larger mammals, but what are some of the animals you've worked with in the past? Oh boy, I've rehabbed fox squirrels, alligators, gopher tortoises, box turtles, diamondback terrapins, mud turtles, musk turtles, yellow-bellied sliders, indigo snakes, corn snakes, glass lizards, bullfrogs, that was an interesting one, flying squirrels, river otters, minks, raccoons, possums, foxes, both red and the very important grays, panthers, bobcats, bats, cottontails, marsh rabbits, beavers, deer, wood rats, wolves, I mean more animals than I can list honestly. A good portion of those were species of concern, but some were just everyday wildlife that many wouldn't consider important enough to bother with. But even if you ignore the ecology of it, people become really emotionally involved when they see an injured animal and will try to find someone with expertise to help, often winning over my soft heart. So where do people find these animals? Oh, all over. I've had people bring me in animals they found at work, animals they've accidentally hit with their mowers, animals they found in their cars, animals they found in their attics. The most common, however, tends to be from one of two places. Oh, let me guess. I'm going to say one of those is hit by a car. Ding, ding, ding. Yep. Hit by a car is number two. What do you think number one is? Hmm. Disturbed the mama and she ran from the nest? That's a very common one, and especially with the old wives' tale that if you disturb a nest or touch a baby, the mama will abandon her young. That's 100% not true. Mother animals form strong bonds with their young just like we do, and having some funky human stink on them is not going to make them abandon their young. Especially with birds, who have very different olfactory makeup than we do, and do not smell like we can. If you find a baby animal, the first thing I always recommend is to try and locate the nest, and then put the animal back if you can. If you cannot, make a temporary nest out of the way, and as close to the original nest as possible to allow mama to find her babies. If after a few hours mama has not returned, then you can worry about finding a rehabber. Okay, so if it's not someone running off mama, what is the most common way you get these orphaned or injured animals? Well, from Fido and Fluffy. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Dogs have a unique ecology in natural areas, with notable differences from native animals. Unlike their wild ancestors, dogs are inefficient hunters, but they really love to chase stuff. 
Numerous breeds of dogs have been specifically bred for hunting, with specialized traits for finding and catching prey, while others are bred for racing or fighting, making them potentially dangerous to wildlife even though they're trained. Even though your furry friend is a gentle lap dog at home, he or she may be excited at the chance to chase prey animals they normally would hunt in the wild. Yep, it happens pretty often, oddly enough, with turtles as well. I get dog crunch turtles fairly often whose owners told me that they brought up the turtle in their mouth like a toy. Most of the time, dogs don't even know they have an animal, just a funny smell and ball. My dogs are the worst about putting all kinds of things in their mouth, but luckily they've never gone after any wildlife before. And we've talked about feral cats before on this podcast, but stressing the impact that cats have on wildlife cannot be understated. A 2020 study found that free-ranging domestic cats killed an estimated 1.3 to 4 billion birds and 6.3 to 22.3 billion mammals annually. Outdoor cats have also contributed to the extinction of 63 species of birds, mammals, and reptiles in the wild, and continue to adversely impact a wide variety of other species, including those at risk of extinction, such as the piping plover. Keeping your kitties inside not only protects them, but also numerous other species of wildlife. Some cats can be difficult to keep from the outdoors, and leash training or using invisible fencing collars specifically for outdoor cats is critical to being a good pet parent. Yep, most people love their animals and wildlife. It's definitely possible to do both. But sometimes people love wildlife a little too much. Ugh, yes. That is a huge problem I face as a wildlife rehabilitator. While it is great that people want to help those animals, it's also important to understand that one of the biggest contributions I make to wildlife as a wildlife rehabilitator is to tell people to put that animal back where it came from. Put that thing back where it came from, also help me. Get that thing away from me, you guys. Put that thing back where it came from, or I'll poke myself in the eye. But for real, most of the time it really isn't a case of needing a rehabber. People just want to help so badly they do more harm than good. It's true. Just because you see a baby animal alone does not mean mama has abandoned them. There is no wildlife daycare. When mama leaves the nest to go get food or take care of herself or get some peace and quiet like I'm sure all new moms out there can appreciate, she leaves her babies alone. Sometimes babies will chirp or call for her, but that doesn't mean she isn't nearby. Most times, Mama is right there hiding and is watching you take her babies, unable to do anything about it. That's right. And with springtime right around the corner, it's around this time of year most people will be finding these babies. Spring provides young animals with favorable conditions and abundant food sources, increasing their chances of survival. Some animals learn survival from their parents, but others receive little or no parental care. Within days or weeks after birth, they will venture into the world on shaky legs or fragile wings. Some will not survive, but those early, unsteady steps and flights are part of normal development, as it helps young animals learn to take care of themselves. People sometimes see fledgling birds on the ground and assume they must have fallen from the nest and need to be rescued. Songbird chicks spend short periods on the ground or on low shrub branches. They may be easy to approach, as they have little fear of people. However, their parents are keeping a close watch, continuing to feed them as they move around. It's often possible to hear the young birds and their parents vocalizing to each other, and if you leave and watch from a distance quietly, you may be able to observe them feeding. If a young bird is alert, fully feathered, and moving around, and parents are in the vicinity, it is not in need of intervention. 
Also, keep in mind that animal mothers don't want to draw attention to the young, so sometimes they only visit the nest site when necessary, typically in the early morning and evening. By hiding their young in dense vegetation and visiting only a few times during the day, they decrease the risk that the babies will be discovered and eaten by a predator. Because of this behavior, the most common species to be mistakenly kidnapped by concerned humans are fawns, rabbits, and fledgling birds. It's important to be familiar with normal behavior for these animals before assuming that they are in need of help and observing the animal for several hours to make sure it's truly abandoned. So what happens if I've observed the animal for hours, it looks dehydrated, it's in immediate danger, has ants or maggots on it, or some other obvious sign mama isn't there anymore? What should I do? Well, mama is always the best mother for any animal, but if you see that it's abandoned, then contacting your local rehabber is a great first step. They can guide you on what to do next, depending on the situation. Often, it's recommending to place the animal in a dry box with a soft towel and making sure it's in a dark, quiet, and warm place until you can bring it into a rehabber that is recommended. Never let your children touch or pet any wildlife. Never give an injured or abandoned animal water or food because they need to be warmed and calmed to process liquids and food. The Georgia Department of Natural Resources will direct you to a rehabber that is closest to you as they keep a list of numbers for wildlife rehabbers certified in your area. Again, we are licensed by the state and we have to undergo testing and record keeping requirements to get these permits. Just having experience in animal care does not qualify you to take care of wildlife. Many wildlife require very specific formula and nutrients percentages in order to survive. You can't just feed them puppy milk you get at the store and hope they'll be fine. Many times people do not turn over the animals to rehabbers until they find that the animal is in such poor condition and not able to tolerate their care. This is cruel. Also, baby wildlife takes a huge time commitment. I've been taking care of animals in nature centers for a few years now, and I'm not even close to understanding everything that goes into being a rehabber. I've seen you bringing in animal carriers and feeding. It's really a lot of work. Yeah, baby wildlife can be exhausting, just like baby humans can be. And they require an equal amount of attention sometimes. So it is best that they go to an experienced wildlife rehabber, no matter how cute they are. And like you said before, ensuring that they have the proper rearing also ensures they can be returned to the wild. Yes, this is a huge focus of our effort, and when people try to rehab animals themselves, they can cause the animals to imprint, or worse, become violent towards humans and have to be euthanized. I've seen numerous people try to turn over wild animals they improperly rehabbed after they bit their children or became violent as adolescents and hit puberty, which is a natural response in wildlife. Inappropriate care given to young wildlife often results in abnormal attachment to humans. After release, some return to places where they live, only be attacked by domestic animals or hit by cars. Some get into stored foods, trash cans, or dwellings and become nuisance animals that have to be euthanized. Further, if they are thrust back into their home range with their own species, if they haven't had proper care, they may be greeted as unwelcome intruders with weird behaviors and attacked and or killed by their own kind. So leave wildlife wild and stick to seeing the cuteness at the zoo. Got it. We will also include a link in our show notes for listeners to find their closest rehabbers. It's good to mention that not all rehabbers specialize in the same thing. Yeah, that's a great point. I mentioned that I specialize in the herps, but I'm not allowed to take in birds since they require a separate license from the state. So it's always good to talk with a rehabber and see if they are taking in animals, what type they are taking in, etc., 
More often than not, rehabbers cannot drive to meet you, and you have to bring the animals to them. They are not animal control, and they're not really able to go out and drive and trap wildlife for you because they're often people like me with 9 to 5 jobs who do this on the side, or like Savannah Wildlife Rescue Center, which has so many animals to take care of that they cannot take time out of their feeding routine to go and capture an animal. So we've talked about how hard and trying it is to be a rehabber, but what are some success stories you've had? There are a lot of animals that I've helped release back into the wild that I'm pretty proud of. Not all the ones we get are able to make it, so there's a lot of death in this line of work. So I get really excited when a family of gray fox get released back into their natural range where they were born after their mama was killed. It makes a really huge difference. I had a gopher tortoise named Eustace get his shell fully patched and go on to make a nice burrow in Hinesville area, providing homes for numerous other animals around him. So that was a nice one. One of my first reptiles I rehabilitated was a nasty dog bite to a box turtle I named Frankenfurter because he was really fat and his head and legs looked like little hot dogs. He ended up healing nicely and I was very surprised. I really didn't think he would make it, but reptiles have amazing healing abilities. He still roams my neighborhood looking for earthworms seven years later. I went to the library to ask for a book on rehabbing tortoises just for him. The clerk said, hardback, and I said, yes, and leathery legs and a stumpy tail. (laughs) Wow, that joke was a turtle disaster. Well, since you deal a lot with herps, you might know why tortoises don't wear scarves. Hmm, no, I don't know that one. Well, they don't need them. They have turtlenecks. For more information about any of the topics we covered today or to submit your question that may be featured in our upcoming episodes, please email us at signer.socials at gmail.com. That's S-I-N-E-R-R dot socials at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Sapelo Nerds, a coastal science podcast brought to you by the Sapelo Island National Estuarine Research Reserve. Please check back for more episodes released on the 1st and the 15th of each month. And that's the Savalo Sound.